Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is living and breathing, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that, Lord, it, it will pierce to the bone, through bone and marrow, Father God, and just reveal to us, Lord, the work you desire to do in each one of our lives. And, Father, even as we just look, Lord, at the law tonight, the, the judicial law that was to govern the people of Israel, I pray, Father God, that it would minister to our hearts. Lord, and it just blesses me just to see how clearly you're depicted, even in the judicial law for the people in Israel, Father God, that how it just reveals clearly the person of Jesus Christ. And may it make us just realize what it means to be a servant of yours, Lord, that, Father, we would be bound by love, not by duty, but, Lord, we would love you and serve you and honor you, Father God, because you first loved us. The Lord, it would be a relationship of intimacy, Lord, not one of of a, a legal bond of, of some kind, or just because, Lord, we think we need to do it to, serve, to, to please you. But, Father, may we do it out of a love for you. So, Father, we pray that you, again, would be our teacher tonight, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase. Give us ears to hear and attentive hearts, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I titled the message tonight, Bound by Love, and it really mainly deals with the first half of the, te- the text tonight. And last week we looked at the Ten Commandments. And by the way, some, one of the kids did come up and have them memorized in order, so you got a CD. But uh, the Ten Commandments, and we talked about how there are two different kinds of law. There's the law of God and the law of Moses. That There are those laws that are enduring and are for all time and eternity, for all of us today, they apply to every person. Then there's some of the, the Old Testament law that, was, that dealt specifically with the Jews. Ceremonial laws and things like that that we, that we don't do anymore. You know, we're not making sacrifices anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God and the sacrifice has been made. And some of the laws we're going to look at tonight are no longer in force. But what's great about these laws that we're going to look at tonight, they still apply to our lives because they're such a clear picture of God's heart for man. And so again, I titled the message tonight, Bound by Love. Now last week, just by quick review, we saw the Ten Commandments. And what what does the law do? It reveals the sinfulness of man. And we talked about how every one of the Ten Commandments, the reality is that everybody in this room has broken every one of the Ten Commandments. Not just one of them, but all of them. But even if you'd only broken one, the Bible says if you've been guilty of one, you're guilty of all. And you might be sitting there saying, well, Pastor Dave, I, I've never committed murder. Well, the Bible said, Jesus said if you had hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. If you've ever hated anybody, you're a murderer. The Bible says, well, I, you know, I've, I've been faithful to my husband or my wife my entire life. I've never committed adultery. The Bible says if you've ever lusted in your heart, You've committed adultery. God goes beyond just the, Jesus did in the New Testament, just beyond the, the physical thing, but also what's in our heart. You know, man looks on the outward appearance, and God looks on the heart. And so the Ten Commandments is a, it's a, the Bible says it's a schoolmaster that drives us to the cross. The law reveals our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And so after the Ten Commandments last week, remember how it ended was the Lord commanded them to build an altar. And what's awesome about this is that they built an altar unto the Lord because as soon as they had the law, there was a need for sacrifice. You know, without conviction, there's no need for conversion. And without the law revealing our sinfulness, we see no need for a Savior. But as soon as the law was revealed, they saw their need for a Savior, so there was sacrifice, and they built an altar. And remember, the last point from last week I want to make is that they built the altar, he said, make it out of dirt and out of rock. And you remember the significance behind that. He said, don't put any gold on it, no silver. And if you use rocks, don't even hewn the rocks when you build the altar. And why is that significant? Because he wants the focus to be on the sacrifice, not on the altar. And the application for us today 
is that, you know what, we don't need to try to build the most beautiful, awe-inspiring building we can have for people to meet in. I don't want people to ever walk in, we don't have that problem here, but I don't want anybody to ever walk out and go, man, that building is beautiful. Talking about the marble and the gold and the this and the that, you know, the stained glass. Talking about how beautiful the building is and having missed the sacrifice, having missed the Messiah. My heart is that when you walk out of here, you'll be saying how great God is, not how nice the building is. Amen? And the Lord's heart was that. You know, and people build these huge buildings and make them awe-inspiring and beautiful and tall glass and organs, and they do all these things because they're trying to replace the fact that God is not there. They're trying to make the building so awe-inspiring that people will be struck by the facility when we need to be touched by God. Amen? And you know what? May it be functional. May it just be a place where people can come and hear the truth about God's Word. So we're going to move on from there. Again, now we're going to move on from the, the law of God that applies to man today. Nine out of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The only one that's not is the law of the Sabbath. We are still to enter into a Sabbath rest, but we don't keep a Sabbath day. And we talked about this last week. The reason that we don't is that we know the first century church met on Sundays. And the reason they met on Sunday was that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Amen? And we don't serve, we serve a risen and living Savior. But the reality is that we're to serve God every day. Amen? And we're to enter into His presence every day. And the Bible says don't let man, you know, don't esteem one day over another. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't have a problem with someone worshiping on a different day. It's not a, we should worship every day. Amen? So t- this morning, or t- this, tonight, until I've been studying all day, I'm a little punchy. Tonight we're going to look at some of the law of Moses. And again, written specifically to the Jews. These are ordinances and statutes that serve as a framework for resolving civil disputes between the Jews as they were out again in the wilderness. Let's begin in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 21. Remember where we've left off. They're out in the wilderness. They've just received the Ten Commandments. Remember, God showed up in Exodus 19 and literally spoke to them audibly. And as He spoke to them audibly, they, you know, the, the lightning, and they were scared to death, and the Ten Commandments came in preparation that their hearts would be ready. Now, these laws were given directly to Moses. For the people, that they might judge the people in a righteous and a godly way. Look at verse 1. It says, now, the, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. Judgments or ordinances. These judgments were given to the judges or the elders. Remember back in chapter 18 that Moses had been doing everything by himself. And remember what his, God used his father-in-law Jethro to come to him and say, Moses, what you're doing is wrong. You're trying to be... You know, the priest, all of these people, and you can't do it on your own. You need to raise men up over the hundreds, over the thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, and the tens. You need other people, and you need to let them judge in the small things and in the greater things. They should bring those to you, Moses. And this is where we get the example of where the elders come from in the church. Elders are not, you'll notice that God told Moses, the senior pastor in a sense, right, to call men who are able men, to come up and hold up his hands, men who were called by God, equipped by God to, to function that way. There wasn't any elections. You didn't have the Israelites voting, right? Didn't have a, didn't have, you don't have ballots. You, know? you don't need to bring politics into the church. It's not necessary because there's only one person in charge, and that's Almighty God. Amen? And we're not voting God out of office. Thank you, Lord. Right? Aren't you glad? They can vote and put Bill Clinton in the office, but they can't vote God out of office. Amen? So praise God for that. And so we see here that he says, you know, these are the judgments, and you give them to the elders, and they're to judge and rule over the people so that when people come, they have wisdom, and so they can judge between right and wrong. Again, these are the men appointed in Exodus, and these are not for, for the individuals. It says, before them, that before them there is the Israelites. Now let's look first at the law concerning servants. 
Verse 2, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. Now, a lot of people really struggle with the fact that the Bible talks about people being slaves. And they say, oh man, the Bible's got slavery in there. I'll never forget, one time I was down in Southern California, I may have shared this story with you before, but I was down in Southern California and my brother-in-law, who was not saved at the time, was going to this Bible study at 7 a.m. at this local uh, church that was needed jesus big time but he said you know i'm going to a bible study i said oh dude i'm going and all night that night i was violently ill but i said i am going i'm not missing this we've been praying for my brother-in-law for years and we go to this bible study and they were teaching through ephesians and or, or i shouldn't say they were teaching through they were trying to teach through and they were saying all this blasphemous stuff about if you, oh well it's not really the bible it's not really the word of god it's just kind of paul's opinion and look it talks about slavery right here we know that that's not right and the reality is, the Bible talks about bond servants. And you know what? Slavery is a good thing if you have a great master. Amen? Slavery is wonderful if the master is good. You know what? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to see that the Bible does talk about people being servants, being bound. Now, you have to understand that slavery was already evident in their culture. It was already there. And God is going to give them ordinances to put limits and give instruction and direction for being a servant. But as we're going to see tonight, being a servant is not a bad thing if you're serving the right master. And by the way, everybody in this room is a slave, and we'll talk about that. So does God condone slavery? In the sense that we would think of it, the answer is no. In the sense of being a servant bound, the answer is absolutely. And slavery, again, is a good thing depending on who we're serving. So how did somebody become a slave? They were either captured as the nations would go to war, and if you were captured by a nation, you became a slave. You could also become a slave if you were sold into slavery. Remember the story of Joseph, right? He was sold into slavery. We saw that many weeks back. You could be born a slave if you were born in the home of a slave. So a Hebrew could become a slave in a few other ways as well. He could become so indebted to somebody that he could come and say, you know what, I'll never be able to pay you back. So the only way it's going to work is I need to come and be indentured to you. I need to be your servant so I can somehow pay you back because the debt I owe you is impossible. There's no way I can pay it unless I become your servant. So there's many ways that you could become. Another reason would be to, to make restitution for a, a theft and also, again, by being born. Now, in, the law, in this law, it guaranteed that after six years, and again, to them when they would hear this, they would be blown away because they're saying after six years... You're going to be set free. So no matter how much you owe, no matter how you've been indebted, even if you were born into slavery, after six years, you're going to be let go. And you know what? The masters probably wouldn't like this too much. But that's a picture of God's grace. Now it's interesting to me that throughout the Bible, don't you see this six and one combination all, the way, all over the Bible? In creation, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. It's interesting that in the Jewish calendar, the seventh month of the Jewish calendar is when you find the Day of Atonement and all the feasts. When they were to grow crops, they were to spend six years growing crops, and one year they were to rest the field, not to grow anything, but let it lie dormant. We also know that, it, and this is a great thing to me, and I love this, the Bible says that a day is to a thousand years, and a thousand years is to a day. And we know from genealogies in God's Word, roughly, that from the time of Adam until the time of Jesus was a rough, approximately 4,000 years. And from the time of Jesus until now, it's been roughly 
2,000 years, right? Well, that's about 6,000 years. If 1,000 years is to a day, as a day is to 1,000 years, we're getting ready to enter in to the Sabbath. Amen? And I believe that's a picture of the 1,000-year millennial reign when God will come back and we will rule and reign with Him on earth after He's wrapped the church away for seven years. And now, the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour, so I'm not predicting any time, but I believe it's soon. Amen? And you know what? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We need to live every day as if He's coming back tomorrow. So we see the six and one all throughout Scripture. And we see right here again, you work six years, and that seventh year, you will go free. In that seventh year, you will find freedom. Love that. Verse 3. If he comes in by himself, speaking of the slave, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be the masters, and he shall go out by himself. Now here's the thing. Slaves have no rights. If you're a slave, everything that you have belongs to your master. Nothing belongs to you. You can own no property. You can own nothing. Your wife belongs to your master. If you come in on on your own and you get married, literally your master blesses you with a wife, then the wife still belongs to your master. If your master blesses you with a wife that then bears children, then your children belong to your master. And you might say, man, this is harsh. So what you're saying is if I come in and I'm a slave because maybe I was indebted and I had to work off my debt, and I come in and after six years, I've had a wife now and I have three children and I want to leave, I have to leave my family behind. This is such a clear picture of the fact that as believers in Christ, when we've been adopted into His family and we become His children, that everything we have belongs to our master. Amen? Everything, my home, the car that I drive, you know, the shoes on my feet, these are God's shoes, right? Better take good care of them, right? Everything I have belongs to the Lord. But you know what? That also means that my wife is God's first, amen? Belongs to the Lord first. My children are God's children first. They belong to Him first. He allows me to have my wife and share my life with my wife, but she ultimately is His, And you know what? He allows me to to raise our children, but they're ultimately His kids and not mine. And that's a very clear picture that we see in this, that if you want to leave and walk away, you're not taking His kids and you're not taking His, you know, the wife that, that He gave you. They're still going to be His. And so the man at the end of his time, when his time was up, the six years was up, he could walk away. But if he did, he was going to be walking away alone. Look at verse 5. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door of the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and shall serve him forever. So here's the choice. Well, I want to keep my family. I want to keep my wife. I want to stay here. And you know what? I love my master. For the first six years, he serves his master out of duty. Out of, I have to. If I don't, I'll be thrown in the debtor's prison. You know, I have to serve my master. I'm bound by duty. And this is the way a lot of people, you know, serve God. They serve God out of duty. Maybe they grew up and, you know, it's a guilt thing. Well, oh, I've been blown. I better go to church on Sunday. And it's out of duty that they come and serve God. It's out of a have to, not a get to, that they come and honor the Lord. They go to confession every week or, you know, they go to different things that somehow make them feel better about living a sinful life instead of seeing a need for a Savior. But the reality is that they don't love their master. And these men, you know, many of them, I'm sure that six-year hit, man, they're out of there. 
Oh, man, they were counting down the days, like getting out of the Marines or something, right? You know, oh, man, how many more days you got? I got 12. All right, good, yeah. And, you know, they're counting out days. And so, sure enough, there no doubt were many that when the six years came, I'm out of here. I can't wait to leave. But then there were those who loved their master, who fell in love with their master. It wasn't a, a tedious thing to belong to him. It wasn't a tedious thing to serve him. It was a blessing. It was a gift. It was an honor. It was a privilege. What's your relationship like with the Lord? Do you do it because you have to? Do you come to church because you feel like you're supposed to? Or is it, is it truly the love of your life? Do you love God above all else? Do you love your master? And that's what this picture is here, that I love my master, I don't want to leave. Where else am I going to go? Where else can I be? Where else would I want to live? Where else would I want to spend my time? Who else would I want to belong to? Bound by love, not by law. That was the title of the message. You know what? Many were bound by duty, but a real relationship with God has nothing to do with duty. It has everything to do with love. Amen? I serve Him because I love Him. He's, I love Him more than anything in the world. He's the greatest and most important thing in my life. It's one thing to serve your master because you feel like you have to. It's another thing, thing to serve Him because you love Him. Bound to Christ because you love Him. I love to serve Him. I know no other place I'd rather be. Now, if that were to happen, what would happen then? It says in the next verse, what happens if someone comes and says to the master, Master, I love you. I want to stay here. I don't want to go. I want to serve you. I want to give the rest of my life to you. Not the next six years, but the rest of my life. I want to give it all to you. Then they would take the servant down, and they would stand him next to the doorpost. And they would take an awl, and they would run it through his ear. And then they would put an earring in his ear to signify that he was a servant by choice. A bond servant. Bound by love, not by law. Now, what's interesting to me is we saw not too many years prior to this, or not too much time prior to this, there was something else that happened on a doorpost. Who remembers? Somebody tell me. The Passover. Remember at the Passover, they took the blood of the firstborn spotless lamb, picture of Jesus Christ, and they put the blood on the doorpost and the mantle on the top of the box, a perfect picture of the cross. And so the last time that they were doing something at the doorpost, it was a picture of Jesus Christ, his shed blood that would be paying for the, for the sins of all mankind. And now we see this picture that if someone says, I want to serve my master, I want to give my life to him, that the only way that that's possible for that relationship to exist, they must come to that same doorpost, the place where the wood is, right? And the drive and pierce through his ear into the wood. Piercing at the place where the wood is and blood is shed. What is that a picture of? That's a picture of the cross of Christ. And there, we cannot be his servants except that he suffered and died that we might have eternal life. Unless he had torn the veil and our sin had been paid for, we could not even choose to serve him and have an intimate relationship with him. And so when they would go, they would take him and put him against the door and they'd drive the all through and they put the earring in his ear and is now no longer bound by duty but bound by love. And that's so much greater a relationship. And you know what's awesome to me? Is that when you see this picture, that once they were pierced, it says in the text there, it's irreversible. Once you're pierced, it's done. It's forever. And aren't you glad that your relationship with the Lord is forever? Aren't you glad? I'm so, man, praise the Lord. I'm so glad that there's no reincarnation. I'm not coming back as a grasshopper next time and starting over or anything like that. It's appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. And praise God. That I have a, a, you know what, I was thinking about this last night as I was laying in bed going to sleep, I was thinking about heaven. 
And you know what? Every time I think about heaven, I just weep because it blows me away that, I, that I'm going to stand before Almighty God one day and I'm going to worship Him forever and ever and ever. And how long's forever? And I'm going to be around His throne forever and ever. It's going to be wonderful. And I can't wait. And, my, and above all, my Savior's going to be there. Can you believe you're going to hug Jesus one day? Doesn't that blow you away? You're going to see the nail prints in His hands? You're going to see how much He loved you? What a privilege. What a blessing. And here it is. It's bound by love. I serve Him because I love Him. It's not a have to. It's a get to. And you know what? If your motivation for doing things in the body of Christ is a have to, you really need to get to know our Savior. Because you know what? The more you know Him, the more you're going to love Him. Amen? He's perfect. He's lovely. He's gracious. He's a wonderful God. Now this bondservant also, again, is a picture of Christ, as we said, because his earring was pierced. Now this is interesting to me, is every time they saw that earring, it would be a blessing to two groups of people. Every time the master saw that earring, what would he think? Oh, my son out of love. My servant, because he loves me. Not because he owed me. Not because he was bound to. Not out of duty. What did God the Father say about the son when he began his public ministry? At his baptism. Who remembers? The sky opened up and what did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I believe that, that earring in the, in the ear of the servant was that kind of a blessing to the master as he would look. But you know what else is a blessing? Not only is it a blessing to the master, but what a blessing it is to his family to his bride and to his children. Because the bride and the children would know that every time they saw that earring, they would say, you know what? Dad gave up his freedom that we might be with him. He, gave, he went and went to the doorpost and had that all driven through his ear and blood was shed that he might remain with us and have a relationship with us. Our dad gave up everything that we might have a relationship with with him, and then we might spend it, our, the rest of our lives together forever, committed together. We don't ever have to worry about him leaving. He's never going to go anywhere. He's staying. What's that a picture of? It's us and our relationship to Christ, knowing that he died, that we might have that intimate relationship with him forever. And every time we see the cross, we ought to remember, just like that all going through the, the ear of the, of the servant, we should remember what Jesus did for us, that he paid the price. And what a blessing and an encouragement to know that we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. And that he's bound to us by love and that he gave up his freedom. He left heaven, the throne of heaven, and he came and became man. And he, and he lived a perfect life to be an example to us. But then he was beaten and he was mocked and he was scourged. And he died in our place that we might have eternal life. What a privilege to serve our God. Amen? It's easy to be a slave or a servant to one who loves me so much that he'd rather die than live without me. And that's the God that we serve. What a blessing. Now, it should also be a picture to us. Not simply serving God out of duty or contrition, but out of love for our Master. You know what? When you read the New Testament books, what does Paul say? Virtually every time he introduces himself at the beginning, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Right? Right? What does Peter say? Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. A slave by choice. Bound by love. It's my privilege to let you know that I'm His servant. They love that title of being a servant of the true and living God. They were blessed by it. They loved it. And you know what? When someone asks us if we're a Christian, we should be blessed to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
I love him with my whole heart. My relationship with him is more important than anything in the world. Absolutely, I'm a follower of his. They were slaves and servants of Jesus Christ. Now, you know what? There's seven words that I'm looking forward to hearing more than anything else. And those words are, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What a blessing to be his servant. Amen? What a privilege to serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. I can't believe that he paid the price for me. He was the one who had his ear pierced for me. He was the one that suffered and died that I might have eternal life. He's the one that gives me every good and perfect gift. And then when I stand before him, he's going to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That blows me away. Amen? Doesn't that blow you away? He does it all, and he blesses us, and then he's going to enter us into, he's building a mansion for me. I can't believe it. I don't deserve it. Amen? But that's a good and a faithful master. Isn't it good to be his servant? Amen? What a blessing. What a privilege. And here's the reality. Every man on this planet is a slave to something. We're all slaves. The Bible says so. Read Romans. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. We all have a master. Your master is either the flesh and the world and Satan or your master is the creator of the universe and there's no other choice. Those are two choices. You're either a slave to sin that leads to death or you're a slave to Almighty God bound by choice and you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the creator of the universe. And there's no one in the middle. You might say, well, I'm not really decided. No decision is a decision, and you are a slave. And you know what? Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus came to die that you might have eternal life. I think there's a major difference in those, in those masters. And if you're a slave to sin, it's torturous, it's treacherous, and it's brutal. If you're a slave to Almighty God, it's a privilege and it's a blessing above anything you could ever experience that this world might have to offer. I would rather be the servant to Almighty God serving in any way he would let me, than to have everything the world has to offer, than to be Bill Gates. I'd rather be a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why? Because Bill Gates' master is his flesh. I've never heard him confess Christ, and I don't know if he has pray for him. But the reality is, the people who may have a lot from the world's perspective have nothing when it comes to eternity. And we've talked about this before. We're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Amen? We're going to spend eternity in one place a lot longer than we spend as life is but a vapor. We're here for just a minute. It's just boom. If, if a day is to a thousand years, it's a thousand years is to a day. We're here for a few minutes. Amen? It's a vapor. But where we spend eternity is what really matters. Slaves to our Savior by choice. Slaves to righteousness. Now, what makes people slaves to sin? They're slaves through birth. Remember I talked about that's one of the ways you become a slave. You're born into slavery. Well, we are born to sinful parents, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Amen? And every one of us was born into sin. And how are we become servants of God? How do we become slaves to righteousness? If we are born into sin, we need to be reborn into salvation. Amen? Jesus told Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. Amen? You were born into the sinful, wicked family that's headed for sin and death, separation from Almighty God, and you must be born again to become a servant of the true and living King, to become one of His kids. Amen? Going to church won't do it. Being good enough won't do it. You can't be moral enough. A lot of moral people in the world, they're all stinking sinners. Every one of them. Amen? Why? Because go through the Ten Commandments, and you're sinner, and you need a Savior, and it's there's no other way to heaven. Jesus is the only way. Amen? And so we were born through sin 
into uh, being slaves of sin, and we are reborn, and we become slaves of righteousness. Does that mean, well, we never sin anymore? No, that's not what it means. Because we all continue to sin. But here's the difference. When you've been born again, you're grieved by sin. And when you don't know God, you run to it. Amen? When you, when you sin, don't you feel convicted? Amen? That's a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit letting you know that you belong to Him. Let's move on. First six verses, pretty awesome stuff. May we be slaves by choice. May we be bondservants to the King of Kings. Verse 7. And if a man sells his daughter to a... To be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then she shall, then she shall let her be redeemed. He shall not, have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. Verse 9. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of his daughters. Now in those days there were men who believed it was better to sell their daughters to be concubines or to be a wife to a rich man than to stay in her own, you know, maybe marry somebody who's not going to be able to take care of her. And it says here, this is actually binding the master to take care of the, of the woman. You might say, well, it's not fair. After six years, she can't leave. The reality is, it's binding the master that he must care for her. A woman who had been married to somebody and was left, man, she'd be in big trouble, especially back in those days. Nobody else would want her, and she'd be out on her own. And the bond here is for the master, that the master must minister to her must care for her every need. Look at the next two verses. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go free without paying money. Now it's interesting that he would pay a dowry to receive the wife to her family. And her family would receive that dowry in almost like alimony in advance. You know, if, if you don't take care of her, then we are going to redeem her. Buy her back. And she could only be redeemed by somebody in her own family. Now this is really interesting to me. Because whenever I see that word redeemed, I'm sure like most of you, I think of only one thing. I think of the fact that Jesus is the only one that can redeem us. That the price would be paid by her family to bring her back into their home. But the man was bound. And I, I noticed this too. This is where we probably, you know, the, the first alimony ever. It says, if he takes another wife... He shall not diminish in the food and the clothes and caring for the other woman he was already married to. Now, is he saying that multiple marriages is okay? No. He's giving an ordinance for those who go contrary to his will that they're still going to have to care for the other women. And you know what? That's still true today. People come up to me sometimes and complain about how much alimony they're paying. I'm like, dude, you're talking to the wrong guy. I had a guy down south that he'd been married for 30 years almost, and he met this cocktail waitress who was, you know, 22 when he was 55, and he went off with her, and he's like, dude, they're making me pay $6,000 a month to my wife. I'm like, man, you're lucky I'm not the judge. You'd, you'd be in a tent, man. You'd have nothing left. I mean, you left your wife of 30 years to go be with a, You destroyed your family, your children. Bro, you're not getting any sympathy out of me. And we see here very clearly that God's command and God's heart is that you are to care for her. You're never to stop caring for her. That's exactly what the command is here, this ordinance that was given to the judge. The master was, was responsible for her needs if he took another wife, and the commitment was for a lifetime. Verse 12. Now we're going to move on from servants to law concerning violence. And, and we're really going to look at the fifth and sixth commandments really being expanded upon. The fifth commandment is, who remembers? Honor your mother and father. 
Sixth commandment is, you shall not kill. Okay? Let's take a look, beginning in verse 12. Look what it says. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If you kill somebody, then capital punishment was coming. If you were living back in those days and you came before a judge, one of these elders, and you had killed somebody, then you were going to be put to death. Verse 13. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where you may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Now, an exception was that if it was manslaughter, it was an accident. Something happened and you didn't mean to, and somebody died. And he said, for those people, I'm going to provide a place of refuge. And what that meant was they would flee from the city where they live. We'll see this more in coming chapters. And they would go to a a place that was a safe place. But they had to remain in that place of refuge or they would face judgment. We're going to see what that's a picture of in several chapters, okay? So they go to that place of refuge to save them and free them from the families that would want to retaliate. Even though it might have been an accident. Even though something happened, you know, it wasn't on purpose, there would still be family members that would want to come and wreak vengeance. And he'd say, I'm going to take you to a place of refuge. But look what the next verse says, though. It says, but if a man acts with premeditation against his, his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him away from my altar that he may die. It's interesting. The altar wouldn't save anybody who was guilty. What does that mean? A lot of people have that kind of relationship with God. I remember the, uh, a guy that I, I worked with many years ago that he, call, he considered himself a good Catholic. And what he'd do is he'd go out on Saturday night and just get lit. And then he, you know, hopefully in his mind, find a woman and, you know, and go have a one night stand. And, but then on the way home in the morning, he'd run into the Catholic church and have his quick confession and feel like, oh, there it is, it's all taken care of. And so his whole point was that he came to the altar somehow holding on to the altar saying, well, as long as I do this, I can live any way I want to. It won't matter as long as I go and make my penance. And I believe this verse is speaking about that. It says, you know what, if a man's holding on to the altar, it's trying to make that, you know, home base. He's playing tag your it and he thinks that's home base. As long as I hold on to this, I'm going to be okay. The Lord's saying, no, it's not going to work. If he's premeditated and he's done it, there's no repentance, guess what? You need to take him out and judgment will come upon him. We can't hold on to religion. We can't hold on to rituals. We've got to be holding on to Jesus. Amen? And we need to have hearts of repentance to hold on to Him. Repentance means not just to be sorry, but to turn away from our actions. To be broken over our sin. Not trying to find refuge in rituals and holding on to things. Verse 15. And he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He who who kidnaps a man and sells him or is found in his hand shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. The fifth commandment is honor your mother and father. The Bible says in Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So if somebody struck their parent or cursed their parent, they would take them out and put them to death. I have an idea they didn't have a big juvenile delinquency problem back in those days. Amen? I mean, can you imagine? Now, you weren't raising your voice to me just, oh, no, no, that wasn't me, no, no, right? I mean, can you imagine if every kid who, you know, was yelling at their folks and getting mad at their parents and screaming and yelling at them or cursing their parents and, and heaven forbid, striking their parents were killed? Man, there'd be no, high schools would be empty, right? I mean, the reality is that, you know, you see here that God says, honor your mother and father. I believe we've gotten way far away from that. 
I believe that it just breaks my heart. I see Little League games. I'm watching my kids in Little League games, and there's kids out there screaming at their parents. Oh, shut up. You know, and you're like, whoa. You need a SWAT. You know what I mean? You know, hey, you know, give me the board. I'll go do it. And the reality is that some of these kids are spoiled rotten. And we tell them, oh, we can't discipline them. And, you know, and these kids are, are in charge of the family. And the reality is that God gave them parents for a reason. Amen? And they need godly parents to raise them in a godly home, to teach them the truth. And they need to learn to honor. And you know what? I was a youth pastor for a long time. If they're not honoring their parents, they're not honoring their teachers, they're not going to honor their boss, and they're certainly not honoring God. Amen? And it all starts with mom and dad. And we need to be honoring our mother and father. It's interesting that kidnappers are grouped in with the, with the people who disobey their parents, people who talk back to their parents, people who curse their mom and dad, people who raise their hand to their mom and dad are grouped in with kidnappers. So is God pretty serious about honoring our mother and our father? And the answer is absolutely. Look at the next verse, 18 and 19. If, a man, if men contend with each other, and one strikes the other with a stone in his fist, and he does not die, but is confined to his bed, if he raises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him will be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of time, and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. Here's we get the law of restitution. If somebody brings harm to somebody, then they're going to be responsible for their, all their medical bills, and they're going to be responsible to compensate them for their time. You know what? That's still going on today. Open up the phone book, every personal injury attorney in the world, that's what they're doing. But here's the reality. He's saying, and again, this is God showing mercy because it's, he's saying, don't kill them, but make them responsible for what they've done. Make them responsible for reinstating or, or bringing back restitution to the person who's been harmed. Verse 20 and 21. If a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. So we're not to, the masters were not to beat their servants. They were not to deal with them with cruelty. Who would want to be a bond servant to a cruel master? Sadly, 90% of the world we live in today are bond servants to a cruel master, and most of them just don't realize it. He's a roaring lion, seeking may devour. He desires to destroy him. He seeks to steal... Steal, kill, and destroy. That's who they're serving. You go watch that movie, Your Soul, Their Souls, The Rock and Roll on Friday. It'll be a, a huge eye-opener, I promise you. If anybody who's ever seen it, almost everybody I've talked to said they have a hard time sleeping that night. It's intense. But the reality is, that's who Satan is. He desires to steal and kill and destroy. And that's the master that most of the world is serving. And this master was cruel. And he beat his, his servant. And it says, if you beat your servant, if you are a cruel master, that you will be punished. But it says there, but if he survives, you know, if a day or two later he's okay, then he's not going to face punishment. But ultimately, he will face divine punishment. But this is just talking about the judicial law. Verse 22. If men fight and hurt a woman with child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according, according as a woman's husband imposes on him. And he shall pay as the judge determines. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. Very clear here what God says about unborn children. The Bible says that He is the one who opens and closes the womb. The Bible tells us that He knew us from our mother's womb. Amen? And a child is a child from the moment of conception. And it's sad to me to hear churches teaching something contrary to that. But if God opens and closes the womb, God puts them in the womb, God is the only one that should remove them. Amen? 
Nobody else. And it's murder, and God makes it clear right here. He says, if two men are fighting, and there's a woman standing by, and she's pregnant, and they knock her down, and the, she gives birth prematurely, if there's no harm, they're still going to pay a fine, and they're still going to deal with her husband. But, if either she or her, or her baby dies, guess what? The lives of those men are going to be required. Life for life. Now, I want to make this real clear. People blowing up abortion clinics, that's not God's will either. Amen? We need to pray for those people. I have to confess to you, you know, for God forgive me, but I have to confess to you when I hear about abortion doctors dying, there's a small part of me that thinks, man, that is, that's exactly what the consequences are. When you go out and you're slaughtering innocent children. But the reality is, that's not what God wants us to do. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Amen? He is the one that will bring the judgment. If we want to see abortion doctors quit doing abortions, we need to tell them about the love of God and see them come to know Jesus Christ and they'll stop doing abortions. Amen? They get born again, guess what? Their attitude is going to change. And that's what we need to see and pray for above all else. Look at verse 23 to 25. But any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, I believe these are some of the most misinterpreted verses in the whole Bible. People believe it's a mandate to wreak vengeance. You ever heard people say that? Eye for an eye. Eye for an eye. He did it. I got to get even. He took one for me. I got to go get one back from him. You know what? This is not demanding retaliation. It's limiting the retribution. It's saying you don't take two eyes for one eye. A guy knocks out one tooth, you don't knock all of his, all of his teeth out of his mouth. It's saying it's limiting the amount of retribution. And how do I know that's true? Let me read something to you. Because here's what Jesus said. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. I had it marked and I took my mark out. In Matthew chapter 5, you don't need to turn there. Verse 38 and 39, you can write it down. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If he wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your coat. Whoever compels you to go with one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks. From him who wants to borrow, do not turn away. What does the Lord say? The law says, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And that's limiting. It's saying you, because the guy took your tooth, you don't go take his life. It's limiting the retribution. It's not demanding retribution. And we made it very clear, because what does Jesus say? If a man slaps you in the face, you know, tear his heart out. That's not what it says. He said, if he slaps you, turn your other cheek also. Vengeance is mine. Let's let God be the one to get revenge. Now I know, for me personally, that you know, if somebody come up and smack me in the mouth, my initial response is going to be, smack them back. Right? And if somebody's doing something to my kids, now that's where I'm going to get really fired up. And I'm probably going to, you know, I talked about this on Sunday. You know, and a couple times I've had people doing stuff to my kids, and I'm literally, the first two steps, I'm on my way over there to do something totally different. But by the time, you know, I take a few steps, the Holy Spirit's going, no, 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 you're not supposed to, okay. And God just, by the grace of God, I'm not in prison for pounding on people who've, you know, grabbed a hold of my kids in ways they shouldn't. And the reality is we have to learn that while my kids are mine, they're ultimately God's. Amen? And He will watch over them, and He will care for them, and He will be the one that if there needs to be retribution, He'll take care of it. And we need to trust Him to do that. They're God's kids before they're my kids. So it's not to require it, but to limit it. Not two eyes for one eye, not three teeth for one tooth. Again, if man smites, smites you, don't seek vengeance. Let God be the one to take vengeance. Verse 26 and 27. 
If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of the eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of the tooth. If a master dealt cruelly with his servant, it would result in his freedom. If he was cruel to his servant, then he would be let go. And that was because it wasn't right. It wasn't fair. And you say, you know what? If you're cruel to your servant, then they're going re- to get their freedom. We're almost done here. Last few verses. Lastly, we're going to look at what happens with neglect. We're going to see laws given for injuries due to neglect. Look at verse 28. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned. And if its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and has been made known to the owner, and he has kept it con- confined so that it has killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and the owner shall also be put to death. Here we see neglect. Verse 28, if an animal kills a person, the animal is to be put to death. Let me make it real clear. I know we live in Santa Cruz, but let me make it real clear. God does not equate animals equal with people. Amen? Now the Bible says a righteous man cares for his animal. But Jesus did not die on the cross for animals. Amen? Animals are two-part beings. We are three-part beings. We have a part to us that is eternal. And God does not equate, and it, it blows my mind, you know, you've heard that statement, be, be a hero, save a whale, save a baby, go to jail, right? I mean, people care more about whales, and, do- and again, I don't want to see people killing whales, because God created them, and, and righteous people care for their animals. But I'm way more concerned about babies, amen? I'm way more concerned about my children than our cats. If you're more concerned about your cats than your kids, something's wrong, we need to have a counseling session, amen? But there's a lot of people out there, man, they're dogs, and here's the reality, people... The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? And some people get it all messed up, especially, you know, Santa Cruz. We get a little whack sometimes. We get our, our priorities wrong. Now, negligence on the part of the animal owner would, would result in his death. So if he knew that his ox had gored people before and he didn't do something about it, he didn't put the animal to death, and the animal went out and killed somebody else, guess what? Now his own life was going to be taken from him. Kind of like what happened in San Francisco with those dogs attacking that woman in the hallway. They knew their dogs were vicious and... Dogs went out and just tore that woman to pieces, and they're standing right there. And you know what? There's judgment that comes when you do that. And here we see judgment because of neglect. Let's move on. Again, it's applied to them in those days, but we need to to make sure we're not neglecting things. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, and he shall pay it to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. Now here's the interesting part. Even though his life could be taken from him, if he were to pay a fine, he could be redeemed. His life could be redeemed. Verse 31 and 32. Whether he had gored a son or gored a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to the master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Now wait a minute. So if, you st- if they gored a, a son or a daughter, then the result was the death penalty. If they, if they gored a, a servant, then it was 30 pieces of silver to replace the servant. Now I find this interesting because what was Judas paid to betray Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. The value of a dead servant that had been gored or pierced by an ox. I think it's interesting that a person, a slave who had been pierced, is the price that was paid for Jesus, who was the servant who came and was pierced for our transgressions. Amen? Nothing by accident in the Bible. It's not an accident that was 30 pieces of silver. For a slave, it's not by accident it was 30 pieces of silver that was paid for Christ. Negligence resulted in death unless they were redeemed. Unless a price was paid, then there could be redemption. 
The same is true of us. Our sinfulness will result in our death unless we are redeemed. Last few verses here. Verse 33. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and the ox or the donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another's so it dies, and they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and, div- and the dead ox they shall divide and barbecue. Not barbecue, but that's what they're going to do with it. Verse 36. Or if it is known that the ox tended to thrust in times past, its owner shall be kept and did not keep it confined he shall surely pay ox for ox and the dead animal shall also be his own so neglect resulted in judgment the same is true with us when we neglect the gifts god has given us we miss out on a blessing when we neglect the word of god we neglect our prayer life we neglect things it's going to wreak judgment in our lives, in our families, in our homes. If you neglect to raise your kids and teach them the Word of God and and share with them the love of God, there are going to be consequences for that neglect. So in conclusion, it's a blessing to be a servant if you have a good and a loving master. And don't we have the best master? Amen? Isn't it good to be his servant? Isn't it a blessing to be a servant? A spirit-filled walk with God is one bound by love, not by obligation. As he was wounded for our transgressions, may we come to him, not out of obligation, but out of love, asking him to pierce our ears, saying, Lord, I want to be yours forever. I want you to mark me. I want you to mark me as one of your kids. I want everybody to know that I belong to you. I want when my heavenly Father looks down that he sees that I'm marked, that I'm his, that I belong to him. Amen? And then lastly, may we not seek vengeance, but love others as Christ loved us. Bound by love. Not by duty, not by obligation, not by law, not by rules, not by rituals, but because we have a loving master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, Lord, again. And even though this text was written hundreds of years ago, it has such a clear application for us today. And what a clear picture of you and your son suffering and dying that we might have eternal life. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that when... You adopt us into your family, Lord, that when we become your servant, the Lord is for all eternity. The Lord is irrevocable. And Father, we just long for the day. We look forward to that day when we will enter into your presence and sing your praises forever and ever and ever. But until then, Lord, may we be bound by love, so in love with you, Lord, that, that Father God, we reflect on the world around us. Lord, that people would just see the love of God in us, that we would tell them about the great and loving Master that we serve. So, Lord, we just thank you. We praise you, Lord. Just pray for each person who's here tonight, Lord, that may be weary, going through difficulties, that they would know your love and your strength. Father, just strengthen them and encourage them in the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. You're such a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.